Hi, this is John Cryer, and I am hosting a new seven-part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns, and Money that'll challenge everything you think you know about U.S. covert operations and presidential misconduct. From Jack Bryan, the director of American PSYOP, comes the incredible true story of John Mattis, a newly sworn-in Miami public defender in the 1980s who has found himself completely in over his head. I step off the plane, and there is a van with a couple guys with Uzis. And one of them in broken English said, welcome to Bogota, John. Mattis's first felony defendant has been arrested for having a machine gun and tells Mattis a dangerous secret. He was shipping arms into Central America on behalf of the CIA. As a first-time lawyer, I want to act like I know what I'm doing. But with the help of a Colombian drug smuggler, how much money the CIA raised by hitting up drug dealers? A lot of money, millions of dollars. An Alabama mercenary. They were prepared to die to the last man. I saw this in them. I saw the fire in their eyes. And they made me their war chief. And a newly elected senator, John Kerry. We are looking at allegations of drug running, gun smuggling, conspiracy to commit murder and murder itself. He'll fight to free his client. The judge said, Show me, in a courtroom, how we were at war. Expose an illegal war being run by the White House. I mean, I wanted him involved, but I didn't want to be on record as doing it. And somehow stay alive in the process. I just escaped a kidnapping by the CIA in Costa Rica. This is Lawyers, Guns, and Money. So you have a man in Armani suit standing in the bow of a boat with a rocket launcher and says, if I lose sight of you, I will launch. You will be vaporized. Available everywhere starting October 29th, or get it ad-free and early starting October 22nd at lawyersgunsandmoney.supercast.com. There you'll find bonus episodes along with exclusive content. Subscribe now. M-S-W Media. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Friday, June 9th, 2023. Today, Donald Trump has been indicted for seven counts in the documents case by the Department of Justice. Top DOJ officials were in Miami today with the grand jury in that case. Walt Nauta's lawyer is alleging prosecutorial misconduct. The Supreme Court has struck down the Alabama congressional map. Members of Congress got to see the FBI document Comer wanted to hold Chris Ray in contempt over. Trump has asked for a new trial in the E. Jean Carroll case. And Fox News says Tucker Carlson breached his contract. I'm your host, Allison Gill. Well, folks, it happened. Um, we've got an indictment on Donald Trump. I'm all by my lonesome today. Dana is out. She is hosting a gala for the, uh, I believe, Lambda Legal. And so I'm sending her so much love today. And oddly enough, later in the show, I'm going to play an interview I recorded earlier today with Dave Ehrenberg, who is the the DA down in Palm Beach. And um, we have a discussion about me thinking that since Harbach and Jay Bratt were down there with the grand jury today, that I was thinking they were voting on a true bill. And that seems to be the case. Uh, Trump posted on Truth Social moments ago that uh, he's been indicted and he must appear in a court in Miami Tuesday at three. If that's arraignment, that's when we may see the charges unsealed unless we get them before that or unless sometime today or Monday, they do a press conference uh, to announce the charges. I don't know. We haven't seen a call for a press conference yet, but um, I still am going to play this great interview with Dave Ehrenberg for you a little bit later. And apparently it's, uh, there are seven counts, including obstruction, conspiracy, and under the Espionage Act, retention of national defense information. So very interesting getting a few conflicting reports uh, uh, because I think all of this information is coming from people who are confirmed, like Donald's lawyers and aides who are confirming to 
the media, which they would have no problem doing since Trump already announced it. But it's it's gone. It's been confirmed now. It's beyond what, you know, just Trump saying it on Truth Social. So that's what is happening today. Uh, <laughs> uh, very interesting. And, uh, you know, of course, if you got your alert over at indictments only, you're welcome. I thought I picked a really good picture of Ann B. Davis for this one. But um, we're going to be talking uh, to, to Aaron Berg a little bit about what down in Miami later. And of course, over the weekend, I'll put out a weekly wrap up as things start to unfold and we start to get more information, you know, I'll cover it all. And I would really love it if y'all went to my bio on Twitter and used the link in my bio to follow me on post, because I think Elon's going to get rid of blocking on Twitter, which means it's going to be a, just a hellscape. So if you can all follow me, on post. And the way that you do that is by going to my Twitter bio and clicking on the link. All right, everybody, we get the hot notes. Hot notes. All right, first up, I'm going to read you what I got from the Washington Post, Devlin Barrett, Perry Stein, Josh Dawsey. Former President Donald Trump said Thursday night he's been charged by the Justice Department in connection with the discovery that hundreds of classified documents were taken to his Mar-a-Lago home after he left the White House. A widely anticipated but also seismic event in the nation's political and legal history. Several Trump advisors confirmed the charges. Trump said he has been summoned to appear in federal court Miami Tuesday at 3 p.m. A seven-count indictment has been filed in federal court naming the former president as a criminal defendant. And that's according to people familiar with the matter who spoke to the Post on the condition of anonymity to describe a case that has yet to be unsealed. A spokesman for special counsel, Jack Smith, who's been running the investigation, has declined to comment. Trump has long said and insisted he's done nothing wrong. He's accused investigators of pursuing him for political reasons. And we're going to talk a little bit later in the show about something that uh, a scoop that Hugo Lowell got about accusations of prosecutorial misconduct. Uh, so as soon as there's more information, I will bring it to you. This episode of Jack this weekend is going to be really interesting. Uh, all right. Next up, the Supreme Court Thursday struck down a Republican drawn congressional district map in Alabama that civil rights activists say discriminated against black voters in a surprise reaffirmation of the landmark Voting Rights Act, which they gutted in 2013. The court in a 5-4 vote ruled against Alabama meaning the map of the seven congressional districts, which heavily favors Republicans, will now be redrawn. Chief Justice John Roberts and Justice Brett Kavanaugh, both conservatives, joined the court's three liberals in the majority. In doing so, the court, which has a 6-3 conservative majority, turned away the state's effort to make it harder to remedy concerns raised by civil rights advocates that the power of black voters in states like Alabama is being diluted by something called pack and crack. They divide the voters into districts where white voters dominate. In the ruling, Roberts, writing for the majority, said the lower court had correctly concluded that the congressional map was violating the voting rights law. In 2013, Roberts authored a ruling that gutted a separate important provision of the Voting Rights Act and has long argued that various government efforts to address historic racial discrimination are problematic and may exacerbate the situation. He wrote in Thursday's ruling that there are genuine fears that the Voting Rights Act may impermissibly elevate race in the allocation of political power and that the Alabama ruling does not diminish or disregard those concerns. The court instead, quote, simply holds that a faithful application of our precedents and a fair reading of the record before us do not bear them out here. As such, the court left open future challenges to the law with Kavanaugh writing in a separate opinion that his vote did not rule out challenges to Section 2 based on whether there's time at which the 1965 law's authorization of the consideration of race in redistricting is no longer justified. Civil rights groups and their supporters, including President Joe Biden, reveled in a largely unexpected victory from the Supreme Court. Today's decision confirms the basic principle that voting practices should not discriminate on account of race. But our work is not done, Biden said. He renewed calls for Congress to enact a new voting rights legislation. NAACP President Derek Johnson applauded the Supreme Court for rebuffing what he characterized as an effort to suppress the black vote. This decision is a victory for black America and triumph for our democracy, he said, but added the fight is far from over. And despite the ruling, Alabama Attorney General Steve Marshall vowed to continue to battle over the state's maps. Quote, although the majority's decision is disappointing, this case is not over. Ugh. The two consolidated cases arose from litigation 
over the new congressional district map that was drawn by Republican-controlled Alabama legislature after the 2020 census. Uh, The challengers, including individual voters and the Alabama State Conference of the NAACP, said the map violated Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act by discriminating against black voters. The new map created one district out of seven in the state in which black voters would likely be able to elect a candidate of their choosing. The challengers say that state, which has a population that is more than a quarter black, should have two such districts and provided evidence that such a district could be drawn. A lower court agreed in a ruling last January, saying that under Supreme Court precedent, the plaintiffs had shown Alabama's black population was both large enough and sufficiently compact for there to be a second majority black district. The court ordered a new map be drawn, but the state's Republican attorney general, Steve Marshall, turned on to the Supreme Court and put the litigation on hold and agreed to hear the case. That's the shadow docket. Four conservative justices led by Thomas dissented in the the ruling, had time to write 50 pages uh, in dissent on this ruling, but no time to file his financial disclosure forms, I guess. Thomas wrote his preferred outcome would not require the federal judiciary to decide the correct racial apportionment of Alabama's congressional seats. He added that under the approach taken by the lower court, Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act is nothing more than a racial entitlement to roughly proportional control of elective offices wherever different racial groups consistently prefer different candidates. Last year, the Supreme Court was divided 5-4 in allowing the Republican-drawn map to be used in November's election, with Roberts joining the court's three liberals in dissent. Kavanaugh indicated that his vote to allow the map to be used was based on the lower court decision being issued too close to the election. Republicans won six of the seven seats in the election, while Democrats won their one black district. With black voters more likely to vote for Democrats, Democrats might have picked up an additional seat if that new map had been adopted. The Alabama case was one of several in which Supreme Court decisions may have contributed to Republicans winning their fragile majority in the House. Next up, from Gregorian and Reese at NBC, a $5 million jury verdict that found Donald Trump liable for sexual abuse and defamation in the E. Jean Carroll case was grossly excessive, quote unquote, and he should either get a new trial or have to pay less money. That's what the former president's lawyers argued on Thursday. In court documents filed in federal court in Manhattan, Trump's attorneys argued $2 million that the jury awarded Carroll for the battery claim involved at the New York City department store in the 90s is inflated because the jurors did not find by a preponderance of the evidence that Trump had raped Carroll, only that he had sexually assaulted her. Quote, such abuse could have included groping of plaintiff's breasts through clothing or similar conduct, which is a far cry from rape, unquote. That's what's in the filing. That's what they put in court. That's not worth five mil. That's only two million is too much for that. The jury also awarded Carol just under three million on defamation. Trump's lawyers contend in the filing that the amount should be reduced as well, since part of the award stemmed from Trump denying he raped her. Trump's legal team asked the judge to either reduce the total five million award to about $900,000 or Trump should get a new trial. Carol's attorney, Roberta Kaplan, called Trump's arguments frivolous. It's a nice, why would he use a different word? The jury carefully considered the evidence that Miss Carol presented, she said, during the two-week trial that ended last month, and Trump did not put a single witness on of his own. Kaplan added, this time Trump will not be able to escape the consequences of his actions. Joey Taco Pants didn't immediately respond to requests for comment. Asked on its verdict sheet whether Carol had proven by a preponderance of the evidence that Trump raped Miss Carroll. The nine-person jury checked the box that said no, asked whether Carroll had proven that Trump sexually abused Miss Carroll. The jury checked the box that said yes. Jurors did not speak to reporters after the verdict to explain their rationale. Carroll testified that Trump raped her, but said she was attacked from behind and did not see how he penetrated her. Trump, who has consistently denied Carroll's claims of any wrongdoing, has also filed a notice of appeal in the case. The case that went to trial was her second lawsuit. We've talked about this, Carol 1 and Carol 2. Now Carol 1 is still pending. It's got a second amended complaint, so DOJ has withdrawn its certification, which means it's not repping Trump. It has to re-decide if it's going to. The operative question in this case has always been whether a rape occurred in the Bergdorf Goodman dressing room. That's what Trump's filing says. And they found that one did not. Kaplan pushed back on the argument. Quote, contrary to Donald Trump's latest arguments, the jury's verdict makes complete sense because the jury believed E. Jean Carroll when she testified that Trump had sexually abused her. It concluded that Trump knowingly lied about Miss Carroll when he later claimed otherwise. 
and from Hugo Lowell. This is the story I was telling you about that has to do with uh, the alleged prosecutorial misconduct. The lawyer for Donald Trump's valet, Walt Nada, under scrutiny for the Mar-a-Lago documents investigation, has submitted court papers describing a meeting at which top federal prosecutor, one of them, brought up his application to be a judge when they tried to get Walt Nada's cooperation last year. That's according to three people familiar. The allegation described in a letter filed under seal with the chief U.S. judge in Washington, that's Jeb Boesberg, could affect the investigation. It could. We'll see. Even though prosecutors have no control over the success of judicial applications, no control over the success of judicial applications. The fact that it was raised in the context of trying to persuade a lawyer for a witness to recommend cooperation could give the appearance of coercion. So at issue is an incident that took place last year, around November, when prosecutors were trying to get Walt Nada to cooperate. Nada had already spoken to prosecutors in the investigation when they called his lawyer, Stanley Woodward, and summoned him to a meeting at the Justice Department headquarters for an urgent matter they were reluctant to discuss over the phone. When Woodward arrived at the conference room, he was seated across from several prosecutors working on the investigation, including Chief of Counterintelligence, Jay Bratt, who explained that they wanted Nada to cooperate with the government against Trump. Now, Nada should cooperate with the government because he had given potentially conflicting testimony that could result in false statements charges. That's what the prosecutor said. And Woodward vehemently disputed that. Bratt then turned to Woodward and remarked he had not taken Woodward to be a Trump guy. And then he noted that he knew Woodward had submitted an application to be a judge at Superior Court in D.C. that was currently pending. The allegation is basically that Bratt suggested or nudged and winked that Woodward's judicial application might be considered more favorably if him and his client cooperated. The letter was filed after Trump's submitted a motion on Monday seeking grand jury transcripts because of what they viewed as potential prosecutorial misconduct. The Justice Department's characterization of the meeting is not clear. Spokesperson declined to comment. Though a more innocent explanation for the exchange could be that Bratt was genuinely surprised to see an application and raised it as an aside. Because Bratt has no power to get him any favors for that application. It's just, uh, uh, personally, and, and Trump was truth, you know, truthing about it yesterday, Wednesday, before, you know, like, it just seems like it's a made-up conspiracy theory to try to undermine the investigation and by the way, that lawyer, he's paid for by Trump. Walt Nada's lawyer. Same lawyer as Kosh Patel. So, and Taylor Budowich, actually, who runs the Save America pack. So, okay. Okay. All right. From Fisher and Allen at Axios, Fox News Wednesday notified Tucker Carlson's lawyers that the former primetime anchor violated his contract with the network when he launched his own Twitter show on Tuesday, according to a copy of a letter obtained by Axios. A breach of contract claim sets Fox News up to explore potential legal action against Tucker Carlson, <laughs> a move that would intensify the already thorny public battle between the two parties. Carlson's lawyers told Axios that any legal action by Fox would violate his First Amendment rights. Fox, quote, defends its very existence on freedom of speech grounds. Now they want to take Tucker Carlson's right to speak freely away from him because he took to social media to share his thoughts on current events. That's Carlson's lawyer. But you, see, the thing is, is that you signed a fucking contract, Tucker. So sorry, that's what a contract is. Carlson was ousted from Fox News in April following a $787 million defamation settlement with Dominion, uh, which sued the network for making false claims about the company. Carlson has since accused Fox of fraud and has argued that Fox breached his contract when senior executives reneged on promises made to Carlson intentionally and with reckless disregard for the truth. Carlson's lawyers also argued Fox broke its promise to Carlson not to settle with Dominion in a way, quote, which would indicate wrongdoing, unquote, on the part of the former host. Axios previously reported Carlson was told by a member of the Fox board that he was taken off the air as part of the Dominion settlement. Two sources briefed on the conversation told this to Axios. Now, shortly after Carlson posted the first episode of his new show on Twitter, Fox News general counsel Bernard Guger sent a letter to Carlson's lawyer saying Carlson is in breach of his contract agreement. In connection with such breach and pursuant to the agreement, Fox expressly reserves all rights and remedies which are available to it at law or equity. The letter refers to Carlson's contract, which was originally signed November 8th, 2019 and amended February 16th, 2021. 
Quote, this evening we were made aware of Mr. Tucker Carlson's appearance on Twitter in a video that lasted over 10 minutes. Pursuant to the terms of the agreement, Mr. Carlson's services shall be completely exclusive to Fox, it continues. It adds that Carlson's contract says he is prohibited from rendering services of any type whatsoever, whether over the internet via streaming or similar distribution or other digital distribution, whether now known or hereafter devised. Carlson's legal team, according to a source familiar, objects to the network's efforts to block Carlson's Twitter appearances because they believe Twitter is not directly competitive with Fox News. A source told Axios that Fox believes it's been working in good faith to reach an amicable agreement. Carlson has been leveraging allies such as Brett Favre to put pressure on the network to let him out of his contract. A source told Axios that Carlson was told by senior Fox executives that the network's goal is to keep him sidelined until 2025. (laughs) And from Stewart et al. at NBC, House Republicans Thursday doubled down on their attacks against Joe Biden and his family after viewing a document behind closed doors that remains secret. Republicans on the House Oversight Committee emerged from a secure room, a skiff at Capitol Hill, after viewing an FD-1023 form brought in by the FBI and continued to accuse Biden and family of bribery. As part of the investigation, Republican lawmakers have repeatedly released financial documents that have failed to prove any of these accusations. The FBI and a prosecutor reviewed the allegation when it was made in 2020, and that's according to a senior law enforcement official. The bribery allegation, however, was not substantiated. That's what the official said. Previous descriptions of the document by Republicans said it was purportedly containing an unverified allegation from a human source that said Biden, when he was vice president, was involved in a bribery scheme involving a foreign national. House Republicans on Tuesday called the allegation credible and legitimate. It is not at all. Democratic members of the committee viewed the document, but they opted not to make any statements. In a statement Wednesday, Raskin said that the FBI team that briefed him and Comer on Monday said the Department of Justice team and the team of prosecutors and FBI agents under U.S. Attorney Scott Brady determined there were no grounds. That's Scott Brady put there by Bill Barr. Determined there were no grounds to escalate their probe from an initial assessment of the allegations surfaced by Rudy Giuliani to a preliminary or full-blown investigation, and it was closed down. The end. So we're going to talk about that on the um, next episode of uh, Clean Up on L45 as well. So everybody, we're going to be right back with Dave, Dave Ehrenberg down in Palm Beach. And remember, this was recorded about three hours before the news broke that Donald Trump has been indicted on seven counts in that case. So everybody stick around. We'll be right back. After these messages, we'll be right Hey, everybody. Welcome back. I'm happy to be joined today by my friend, state attorney of Palm Beach County, Dave Ehrenberg. Hi, Dave. Allison, it's great to be with you. It is so weird. Like I planned this trip to D.C. and I planned this interview with you at two totally different times, like over a month ago. And now here I am. I think we're going to get a vote in a D.C. grand jury to indict Trump on obstruction and espionage under the Espionage Act. But then everything moves down to Florida. And then, oh, hey, I get to talk to my friend Dave Ehrenberg from Florida today. Tell us about where you're at. How close are you? What are you hearing? What's, what's going on down there? Everyone I know is, D.C. is a ghost town. Everybody I know is flying down to Miami. We appreciate your tourist dollars down here. Just don't try to say gay or uh, <laughs> take out any library books or have an abortion or visit Mickey Mouse and you'll be fine down here. Mm, okay. All right. But uh, I say that half uh, jokingly, but we were all surprised to learn that the uh, grand jury has moved down here, that there's a, a parallel grand jury in South Florida. They did not, the feds did not tell us state authorities. They rarely do, but uh, they kept this one really close to the vest. And it looks like they're going to seek indictments down here for some of the bigger crimes, that, obstruction, because most, if not all of that, occurred in Mar-a-Lago. And espionage, because under 18 U.S.C. 793E, it's the refusal to give the stuff back that uh, comes under the Espionage Act. Also, it's dissemination, showing it to other people. And that looks like that may have happened at Mar-a-Lago. Of course, it also looks like it could have happened at Ben Mister. But it looks like the whole thing, the, the big enchilada is going to be down here in Palm Beach County, And I think it's also because the feds don't want this important case to be thrown out because of a venue problem. So they're going to play it safe and 
at least put the big stuff down here. Although I do think there'll be an indictment in D.C. So you'll have a parallel track, a split indictment, just like the feds did with Paul Manafort. Well, first of all, this is why I love talking to you, because you speak my language. When people say, you know, Title 18, U.S. Code, Section 793E, I go, ooh, the hair is on the back of my neck stand up. So I appreciate you because that is a very specific part of the Espionage Act. And that's just like you said, simply the retention of documents. But we have other crimes going on here as well. And I want to talk about those in a second. But I want to ask you about something that you just said. You just said that there could be a split indictment with other charges in D.C., other charges in the documents case, or like January 6th and and that kind of stuff. Both. I think first you'll see the Mar-a-Lago documents case being indicted. I think January 6th comes later. January 6th is a harder case as you know. No, but I mean, in D.C., you said there could be yep. a split indictment, some in Miami, some in D.C. Do you think the documents case will be split? Yeah, I do. I think documents case will be split between D.C. and South Florida. And I think J6 will be in Washington, D.C. Now, ideally, the feds would like to do it all in D.C. It's a much more favorable jurisdiction, a very blue jurisdiction down here in Palm Beach County. Let, let me also dispel some rumors. This is not a red county. This is a blue county. But it's getting redder uh, by the day, but it's still blue. And in the last election in 2020, 43 percent of Palm Beach County voted for Donald Trump. Now, 43 percent of a 12 person jury would be five jurors. So you can see why Donald Trump would be much more willing to have this whole thing down here than in D.C., where apparently 97 percent of the public's something like that voted for Hillary over Trump. So. And for Biden. So, uh, yeah, this is why they want it down here. Now, I never understood how they could have the obstruction count in D.C. because the obstruction came here at Mar-a-Lago. So I think it was always inevitable they were going to have to do something down here. I just wasn't sure it was going to be espionage and all the the big charges would be down here. Hmm. What part of, of the documents case do you think will be in charged in D.C.? They could file the espionage charges in D.C. because it's a broad act and you could make a case that that happened up there. Uh, but then there's some other things they could try to get them for um, that have not been discussed. Some of the statutes. Oh, like conversion of government property, uh, 402 and yeah. And six, there's a there's another one in there. Contempt and uh, 1001, right? Charges where. You know. Exactly. 1001. That's what got Martha Stewart. You lie to investigators and you're through. Also, I think one of the reasons why they have the grand jury down here in, in South Florida is to get at Trump's accomplices, like the Walt Nauda guy, who is the valet who moved the boxes to and from the storage room before and after the feds came a calling. And he told the feds he did not move the boxes. But then they have this, there's this pesky thing called video surveillance that caught him on camera doing it. So he's going to be paying the piper, I think, pretty soon. Well, let's talk about that obstruction. Carlos, Walt's friend, Carlos, who, uh, called up the IT guy at Mar-a-Lago in July. And and it's been publicly reported that Jack Smith or his prosecutors have been asking questions about this phone call to the IT guy where Carlos asks about the surveillance footage and how long it's stored for. And then three months later, he's draining the pool and sends the the pool drainage into that server room where the (laughs) the surveillance tapes are not tapes, but, uh, you know, where it's stored on the servers. You know, that it makes sense to me. That kind of, if that's what happened, that kind of obstruction needs to be brought at a case where the pool was drained, right? That's, it makes total sense to me. So I think it's, it is interesting. I mean, I, you know, I, part of me wants it to just be Jack Smith, like, well, you know, they're like, well, hey, you know, should we keep it in DC? Nah, I want to beat him in, I want to beat him in his own backyard. That's, that's kind of what I wish. But there are, a little bits of truth to that because it would eliminate, like you said, any motion for change of venue. It would be a very strong case. It'd be harder to overturn on appeal. And one of the considerations under federal criminal code that the prosecutors have to make is not just whether you can obtain a conviction. It's whether you can maintain one on appeal. You got it. Uh, yeah. You are spot on, AG. Uh, Jack Smith wants to keep this conviction on appeal. He doesn't want to leave it to chance. But there are pitfalls if you come down to Palm Beach County. Like I said, it's not as blue as D.C., but also you could get assigned randomly Judge Aileen Cannon. Remember her? I do. Yeah, she's the judge who went out of her way to give Trump everything he wanted and more on the special master. She inserted herself into that matter, even though she she was in a courthouse like 90 miles away in Fort Pierce. So 
that's a possibility. And I think Trump's team is hoping it'll go to her. Of course, she could also get Judge Middlebrooks. Who that's has, what I was thinking. Like, what if, yeah, what if he gets Middlebrook? Middlebrooks has openly, blatantly accused them of judge shopping when they went to when they went to Canada. Oh, uh, Middlebrooks imposed huge fines on uh, Trump's people for filing frivolous lawsuits down here, like when they sued Hillary Clinton and all that other Michigas. That's a technical legal term, by the way, Michigas. Michigas, good. Yes. Uh, I want to get back to Carlos. You said, and, and I wasn't familiar with his first name, but I know him as the maintenance worker who helped Walt Nottis. We're talking about Carlos. So he seemed like a, a cool dude, just was helping a brother out by carrying the boxes. He said he didn't. Know. That's what the, his lawyer said, right? Like, oh, we just, he saw a friend with, they needed help with the boxes. Yeah. I mean, come on. A, a friend in need is a friend indeed until that friend starts asking questions to the IT department about, hey, tell me about the, uh, the, the storage of the videos on your server and where the cameras are located. You know, that's uh, raised red flags amongst prosecutors. And then that same Carlos was the guy who then drained the pool and somehow it flooded the room where the servers were kept. So, you know, we prosecutors don't necessarily believe in coincidences. And there's only so many times you can you can blame it on the dog for eating your homework. Yeah. And I think it's interesting too. Taylor Budowich, who just was down there seen spotted testifying, I think, yesterday, has the same lawyer as Walt Nauta. And, you know, is paying for the lawyer. Carlos and they're they're all being paid by the Save America PAC and and that's why at first when I heard there was stuff going down in Florida, I thought maybe it was because uh, we know Jack Smith has subpoenaed for information documents and testimony on all of the PACs that support Donald Trump, and so that he is investigating the the Save America PAC and the big fraud as Zoe Lofgren so eloquently put it, you know, fundraising, wire fraud and money laundering uh, for the for the Save America PAC off the big lie. And I thought that's what was going on down there with all these people being brought in. But apparently Taylor Budowich knew of a document that said all the classified documents had been handed over everything and, and the people didn't want to put that out because they were afraid it wasn't accurate. So I saw your tweet about that, AG, and, and uh, I thought you were spot on because Taylor Budowich, being the head of Trump's super PAC, would naturally be questioned about fraudulent solicitation and diversion of funds for the whole stop the steal stuff. Um, they raised hundreds of millions of dollars from Trump supporters and then diverted it away from fighting the so-called stolen election. But then we heard that the questioning was done by Jay Bratt. Jay Bratt flew down from D.C. to conduct the questioning of Taylor Budowich. Bratt is the head of DOJ's counterintelligence division. And so that led us to believe this was still more about espionage and obstruction. And then we heard that he was asking Budowich about that statement you referenced. Now, what was curious about that statement is that Trump wanted Budowich to release a statement in 2022 when Budowich was a spokesman for Trump to say that Trump had given everything back to the archives. But Budowich refused to do so. Now, keep in mind, this is a guy like a lot of other Trump people who will do Trump's bidding no matter what. Except he wouldn't do that. You know, he would do anything for love, but he would not do that. <laughs> I, I knew Meatloaf would have to come up if I'm talking to Dave. Uh, it would have to come up at some point. So, yeah. And DOJ has a, has a draft of that statement that never um, saw the light of day. And they want to know, why didn't you send it out? Who'd you talk to? And how did they know that Trump hadn't given back all the documents? Yeah. And I think he was in there for most of the day testifying as well. So, yeah, it wouldn't be unheard of that they're hearing both of those cases. And of course, you can hear witness testimony at any grand jury. It's where you go to get the true bill voted on that you choose. That's how you choose your venue. Is that correct? Yeah, you get the true bill, the indictment. And then since it's in the Southern District of Florida, it doesn't mean it's going to be in Miami. I would think it would be in West Palm because Trump lives in Palm Beach, which is just a stone's throw away from West Palm where the courthouse is. And so I would think it'd be up here. People were asking me, why is it down in Miami? There's one theory, and I, I haven't been able to confirm this, that the grand jury only meets in the Southern District of Florida since COVID down in Miami, not West Palm. But I've been trying to confirm that, you know, that's a that's for experts in federal practice uh, down here. But it seems like there must be a reason why they all went down to Miami, other than perhaps it's easier to fly into for DOJ officials than West Palm, more direct flights into Miami. But I think uh, there's a reason why they're in Miami, and I think it may be because of the ability to get the grand jury to meet. And look, they were able to keep it in secret uh, a lot better than they would have up here, I guess, in West Palm outside Trump's doorstep. 
Yeah, that is really interesting. Maybe it, you're right. Maybe it's just COVID related. But we also know Harbaugh is down there as well. Um, he's uh, he's working with the the Jack Smith investigatory team. From Lisa Rubin at MSNBC, she says she hasn't seen any witnesses go in today, just those prosecutors. They could be presenting a case. Or, I mean, what other work do just prosecutors in the grand jury do without witnesses? Yeah, yeah. And that Har- Harbaugh guy, is that the correct pronunciation? He's... Uh, He's pretty cool, that guy. He's the guy who took down John Edwards yep. and uh, that the governor, uh, the former governor whose name escapes me. McDonald. That's it. And, you know, with that resume of a guy who takes down high profile elected officials like a former vice presidential candidate and a governor. Yeah, you got to be shaking your boots if you're the former president, because that guy is not there to go after Rudy Giuliani. He's there to go after the big dog. Yeah. And McDonald actually had his case thrown out by SCOTUS, who said that the law didn't apply. And right now, the Supreme Court has heard a case, well, they've heard arguments, they haven't released a decision yet, that about venue, that, you know, if the question on the docket is, if the DOJ messes up venue, is the whole case thrown out? It can't be, you know, can it be retried in, in the correct venue and, and or not? And if that comes down on the not side, you know, both Harbaugh and Jack Smith worked on the McDonald case, they know from experience that you have to be able to maintain that on appeal. And they understand what's going on in SCOTUS right now. If they get the venue wrong, their whole case could fall apart and get just gets completely thrown out. So they know. And, you know, they're also waiting to get back that uh, last appeal on whether or not 1512C2 applies. And, you know, so within the Robertson case and in the other case. So he's wants to see how all these things play out so that, that his cases stay safe. You know, this is why I love this podcast. You can come up with meatloaf and then transition seamlessly to 1512.2 or whichever section you're saying there. <laughs> very impressive. Obstructing an official proceeding. Well, oh, um, uh, 18 USC 1519, uh, which is up to 20 years in prison. So uh, yeah, that's the big win. Well, that's that's the that's the that's the documents one. Right. The the obstructing an official proceeding is the January sixth one, the fifteen twelve C two, the one that Judge Carter in California said Eastman and Trump committed uh, when he had to hand over his emails, piercing attorney client privilege from the crime fraud exception. Well, on that one, that's right. There's only one judge who said that it would not apply, and that judge is an outlier. Was that Judge Nichols? I try to think who is. There was one judge that. But that was on you. It was Nichols. It was Nichols. There you go. And that was an aberration. That's that one is a minority opinion that I don't think any other judge will recognize. And the appellate courts will not recognize it either. No. And it's 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 been lost. You know, they the because DOJ filed to, you know, basically overturn his little opinion there. And the DOJ has been successful. I think it's just now waiting on a, the I think whether or not the person who's you know, he's going to appeal that decision. But, uh, you know, it'll go all the way up and it'll get it'll get resolved. And then there were some questions about what corruptly meant and that's being resolved and, uh, you know, all throughout the courts. But I I don't think it's going to change the statute. I don't think we have anything to worry about. But, you know, just just pointing out about this um, Harbaugh guy and his experience and knowing that with this potential SCOTUS decision, they have to get this venue right. Uh, they do. And I think that may be a reason why all of a sudden you saw the grand jury down here. This grand jury was not meeting as long as the grand jury in D.C. And I think it was at some point they probably said, hey, should we uh, CYA a little bit? Just make sure that we got it right, because if we get it wrong here, we're putting all our eggs in the D.C. basket. This whole case could be lost. So let's just be extra careful and convene the grand jury in the Southern District of Florida. And to their credit, they've been able to do it in secrecy. I mean, it's rare that anyone can do anything in secrecy these days in with this matter, which the whole world is watching. Kudos uh, to DOJ. Yeah. Yeah. No, agree. All right. Well, uh, I'm going to keep texting you every day, my friend. You know, we're actually a stop by Safeway. The 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 Vove Clicquot champagne is sold out here in <laughs> D.C. So I think uh, I think everyone kind of knows what's coming down the pike, uh, especially after a target letter, which we know. Uh, target, if you're target of investigation, it's not a guarantee that you'll be indicted, but, you know, 999 times uh, out of a thousand, you, you are. You're a target for charges. So I think it's just a matter of time now. Uh, it's a matter of time. I think uh, for those who are waiting on indictments, they're going to be receiving Paradise by the Dashboard Light pretty soon. <laughs> nice callback. The meatloaf callback to end the interview. Yeah, I my first prediction was June 19th that week. 
It could be early next week. Uh, they could vote on a true bill this week, but I don't think we would know about it immediately. We'll see. We'll see how it goes, my friend. Thank you very much, State Attorney, Palm Beach County, Dave Ehrenberg. Follow him on Twitter. Any any final thoughts you want to get out there before before we hang up? Yes. Whenever you promote me on Twitter, I get so many new followers. So thank you for everyone for following. Uh, please check me out at Ehrenberg, just Ehrenberg, A-R-O-N-B-E-R-G on Twitter. Dave Ehrenberg on Instagram and Dave Ehrenberg on TikTok. Thank you. Woohoo, you got a TikTok. All right, I'll have to check that out. Thanks so much. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back. Everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Who likes good news, everyone? Then good news, everyone. <laughs> Good news, good news. And if you have any good news, confessions, corrections, if you want to play what the heck wine or what the mutt or tell me some shit kids say or shit your parents say or shit you say, uh, shout out to a local business, a loved one, you know, tell me how awesome your your partner is. Or if you want to send um, pod pet tax photos or if you don't have a pet, adoptable pets in your area, we accept and love. Um, shout out to a small business or your business. Anything you want to send, anything at all, send it to dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. Um, first of all, I just want to thank everyone who wrote in um, to accept my apology yesterday. It really, truly means the world to me. I am so fortunate to be part of such an incredible, compassionate community. And I, I can't read all of your encouraging and heartfelt notes on the pod. There were so many, but I'm keeping your words with me. I am. And I, I do want to share a couple with you all. So please know that you really have been the brightest spot in some really dark times. Um, if you sent pod pics in, we'll share those. So from Jonathan, pronouns he and him, longtime first time, Beans, Isle 45, and Jack. As a late 30-something queer man living in Indiana my entire life, I greatly appreciated your apology on this morning's episode regarding a former version of yourself from which you have clearly grown. I've experienced my fair share of bigotry and hatred in this fucked up southern state, apparently confused about its placement in the north. Without any apologies, visible growth on the offenders, or even acknowledgement of how I might have been affected by those close to me. As Dana said, can't speak for others, but I know you're one of our fiercest allies. It's a great reminder we have room to grow and can face tough discussions together with empathy and civility. Thank you for both being great examples of how we can grow together, hold ourselves accountable for mistakes, and move past them with love and understanding. You two are my good news. Every morning, even when it's explosive, an explosive shit show of a parade. Well, I got some indictments for you today. How about that, Jonathan? As pet tax, here's a couple of pictures of my familiar, my spirit pup, Teddy. He's a lab, tie Ridgeback, eight and a half years old, bestest of boys. Much love and much appreciation for all you do and for who you two are. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I need more beans. Look at a baby. <gasps> what a beautiful pupper. Oh, that puppy got big. So wonderful. Jonathan, thank you so much uh, for that. And again, thanks to everybody who wrote in. I wish I had an hour to read <laughs> read everything. Annie, she and her, aloha beans queens. I just wanted to share some not so good news that turned around and became great news. In the first part of April, I lost my dream job. I was devastated. I went through a grieving process and found another job. This new job was a shit show to say the least. I couldn't have made it without you lovely ladies giving me the news and making me laugh. I never would have made it. I am starting a new higher paying job this week and it's already better. So here's a picture of Diesel dressed in his summer best. Love your show. Oh my God. His dog reminds me of Weekend at Bernie's. <laughs> I don't know why. I think because he wears glasses like that. Oh my gosh. That's so awesome. Thank you for that photo and congrats on your new job. All right. Anonymous pronouns she and her. Thanks for all you're doing. Here's a pic of our rescue, Scout. She's 11 now. We've had her since she was about eight weeks old. She's a sweetie. Her favorite things are daily walks, treats, and my husband. I love telling people my new favorite news podcast is The Daily Beans. News with a great progressive slant. Plus cursing. Thank you, Anonymous. From uh, Eileen N. So proud of my son, Connor, who is cycling from San Francisco to Los Angeles this week as part of the AIDS life cycle, raising money for AIDS research and support. That's fucking fantastic. I've, I've taken that ride and that's w absolutely wonderful. Halfway to LA. Look at that. So great. Congratulations. Next up from Donna, she and her, what the mutt? Really enjoy your podcast and I listen to it every morning while I walk our beautiful rescue daughter, Midge. Photos attached. I'm hoping you'll play what the mutt with this little mixie. Keep on keeping on. 
Oh, what a sweetheart. So like hound dog and shepherd dog. I see maybe some ridgeback or a vishla. Um, some sort of giant, like maybe, a, or maybe, you know, ridgeback, right? Because it's just buff. That's a strong looking dog. All right, what do we got? Dachshund. Rhodesian Ridgeback, Catahoula, and German Shepherd. I was pretty close. So I said Hound Dog, German Shepherd, Ridgeback. I missed the Dachshund. Um, that's interesting. I'm really, that. how'd that go down? You know, that's pretty cool. Next up from Mary, she and her. My husband and I recently come out to each other as bisexual. We've been together for 13 years, married for nine, and hidden who we are for the 11 of those years. Recently, we came out to each other in a truly amazing moment of love and acceptance. We still have a lot to figure out, but we know going forward, we're no longer hiding our true selves. Since it's Pride Month, this is my way of coming out at my own pace to the world. And I've always been an ally of LGBTQIA+, and now I'm proud to be bisexual. Thank you for all you and DG do in brightening our minds and hearts. We love you. Thank you, Mary. We love you. We love you. Thank you. That's powerful and awesome. Fuck yeah. Warriors. Next up from Rebecca, she and her. Beans Queens, I've been listening to and enjoying your podcast since around December or so. As the news about the former guy's many crimes and lawsuits was piling up, I decided I needed a podcast that focused on MAGA World's craziness, and I especially wanted regular, frequent coverage of the accountability I've been craving. I wanted to watch the edifice crumble in real time, so I googled something like snarky news podcast and found yours. Not only have I been enjoying it ever since, but I've also enjoyed the weekly in-depth coverage that Jack provides on all the investigations. Which brings me to my news question. Today, Chris Christie declared he's running for president. And Tim Scott and Ron DeSantis also announced recently. I find this timing interesting. Do you think the other candidates are looking at TFG figuring that he will be indicted and that therefore the field is open? Interesting, Rebecca. I think they thought that and they were correct. I have no pets. So for Bob Pet Tax, here's a photo of my sister's new cat, Mina, whom she just got Friday, May 26th, and whom I just met last Thursday. June 1st. Mina is part Siamese, part Torty, and entirely adorable. Oh my gosh, yes, she is. <gasps> what a sweet baby. I love the Torty feet, but the Siamese body. Oh, so great. All right, finally, from Drew, he or him, here's a confession. Hi, I haven't been listening to your show very long. I came across it by the way of Muller, she wrote, which is one of my very favorite Twitter accounts to keep up with. I am 50 years old, a white man who was born and raised in the Deep South. There was a time in my life when using the N-word, making a homophobic joke, or making a misogynistic comment was not unusual. These comments could be made completely unconsciously, but through a lot of life changes and grace, I realized how wrong and hurtful I was for carelessly going along with things I'd been raised around that were just the status quo. I've tried to make amends where I can and change for the better. I don't think that work ever goes away. You just try to be a better human and love more every day. You guys do what you do. We all listen because we want this world to be a better place. That is only ever going to truly happen because people are willing to apologize and people are willing to forgive. I remain optimistic for that because I woke up and smelled my own BS and people forgave me. So thanks for the work that you guys do and for being brave enough to own your mistakes publicly and gracious enough to forgive it. I'm a listener for life at this point. Drew, thank you so much for that. Yeah, I, uh, what Dana said yesterday really, really hit home, you know? So thank you. Thank you, everybody. Thank you so much for sending this in. Happy Indictment Day. I hope you enjoy Jack this weekend. If you're a patron of the Daily Beans, I'll be putting out the bonus weekly wrap-up. Um, and it's all going to be just Jack Smith stuff. So you probably just get to hear what I'm going to talk about on Jack early if you're if you're a patron, a patron of the Beans. If you want to become a patron, um, you can, you know, sign up over at patreon.com slash wrote. You get the beans, you get Jack if you uh, are at f uh, the $5 level and you really help make this show run. You help us pay super high wages and give out benefits and stuff to everybody and make this a MSW Media a, a good place to work. So thank you. Thank you for everything. And uh, whew, I'll talk to you guys this weekend on Jack. Until then, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet. Take care of your mental health. Vote blue over Q and bring someone with you. I've been AG and them's the beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane with art and web design by Joelle Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. 
Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants, and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com. MSW Media. Hi, this is John Cryer, and I am hosting a new seven-part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns, and Money that'll challenge everything you think you know about U.S. covert operations and presidential misconduct. From Jack Bryan, the director of American PSYOP, comes the incredible true story of John Mattis, a newly sworn in Miami public defender in the 1980s who has found himself completely in over his head. I step off the plane and there is a van with a couple guys with Uzis. And one of them in broken English said, welcome to Bogota, John. Mattis's first felony defendant has been arrested for having a machine gun and tells Mattis a dangerous secret. He was shipping arms into Central America on behalf of the CIA. As a first-time lawyer, I want to act like I know what I'm doing. But with the help of a Colombian drug smuggler... How much money the CIA raised by hitting up drug dealers? A lot of money, millions of dollars. An Alabama mercenary... They were prepared to die to the last man. I saw this in them. I saw the fire in their eyes. And they made me their war chief. And a newly elected senator, John Kerry. We are looking at allegations of drug running, gun smuggling, conspiracy to commit murder and murder itself. He'll fight to free his client. The judge said, show me in a courtroom how we were at war. Expose an illegal war being run by the White House. I mean, I wanted him involved, but I didn't want to be on record as doing it. And somehow stay alive in the process. I just escaped a kidnapping by the CIA in Costa Rica. This is Lawyers, Guns, and Money. So you have a man in Armani suit standing on the bow of a boat with a rocket launcher and says, if I lose sight of you, I will launch. You will be vaporized. Available everywhere starting October 29th. Or get it ad-free and early starting October 22nd at lawyersgunsandmoney.supercast.com. There you'll find bonus episodes along with exclusive content. Subscribe now.